is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Friday, September 1st, 2023, and today will be better than yesterday. Taylor Schwenk is working back in the Schwenk studios. Sarah Abbott has been off all this week. I'm Buster Only and working from my home in Montana. Taylor, what would you think of the waiver chaos that played out on Thursday? Hmm, you know, we're going to get into a deep discussion on it today. I see both sides of it. You know, I don't like an owner, you know, trying to to save every nickel he can because that's annoying to me. But I also kind of like that, you know, the Guardians and the Reds and the Brewers kind of kind of spicing their teams up this late in the season. I, I feel like that's fun for fans. So I, I hate to be annoyingly neutral about it, but that's where I am. Yeah, on one hand, uh, you have an owner getting rewarded for having a, a late-season temper tantrum, Marty Moreno of the Angels, <laughs> and dumping a quarter of his roster. And on the other hand, you do like the fact that the Guardians and the Reds uh, were aggressive. As you said, we're going to be talking about it today, not only with Carl Ravitch, but with uh, Sarah Langs. And we're also going to be speaking with Chris Antonetti, who's the president of baseball operations for the Cleveland Guardians, about what was behind their decision to take on three pitchers, Lucas Giolito, among those, uh, Matt Moore, reliever Ronaldo Lopez, were all claimed by the Cleveland Guardians. Two other former Angels players, uh, outfielder Hunter Renfro, was claimed by the Cincinnati Reds. Reliever Dominic Leone was uh, claimed by the Mariners. Randall Gritchick was the only Angels player who was placed on waivers who went unclaimed. The Reds also claimed outfielder Harrison Bader of the Yankees. They, of course, are clearing the decks for Jason Dominguez, who is expected to make his major league debut for the Yankees in Houston later today. The Brewers signed third baseman Josh Donaldson to a minor league deal. He's going to report to their AAA affiliate in Nashville. Uh, We'll see if Donaldson's a help for the Brewers. They try to hold off the Cubs, the Reds, uh, for the National League Central. With all of the waiver chaos settled by the evening, the focus of baseball Uh, turn to the series between the Dodgers and the Braves, who are vying for the best record in the majors. And the subtext in that series is about the National League MVP race. Mookie Betts was blistering hot in August and actually become the voting odds favorite to win the award over Ronald Acuna Jr., who had been the presumptive frontrunner. And last night, early in the game, second inning, he came to the plate with the bases loaded in Dodger Stadium. 2-2 2-2 pitch on the way. He strikes one well to left field. Back to the wall. Screaming through the night. It's a grand slam. And Acuna doing MVP things here in the top of the second inning. His 30th home run of the year. He makes history with that blast. And, man, it's one to remember. A grand slam at Dodgers Stadium. Yeah, that from the Braves radio network. 30 home runs now to, to go along with the 60-plus stolen bases, the first player ever to reach those two benchmarks in the same season. Betts would hit two homers in this game, but the Braves would hang on to win 8-7, to seven, extending their lead over the Dodgers for the best record in Major League Baseball to five games. Uh, we did get this news from the Dodgers. Walker Bueller is set for a minor league rehab outing uh, to prep for his return to the big leagues. I mentioned earlier this year in the podcast that the Dodgers' real hope is that Bueller could become a late-inning weapon for them once we get into the postseason. The White Sox uh, promoted Chris Getz to the role of general manager and the head of baseball operations. He's someone who's very highly respected within the White Sox organization. And, you know, knowing Jerry Reinsdorf, the White Sox owner, he wanted someone who he knew. 
And Chris Getz has been in the organization for years. The Marlins, the Nationals, Miami trying to re- jumpstart its playoff hopes. They won this game 6-1 to one with help from Jazz Chisholm. 2-1 pitch to Jazz. High drive hit deep. Right field. If it's fair, it's gone. This baby is out of here. Jazz Chisholm Jr., that's the big hit the Marlins needed. It's a three-run bomb here in the top of the fifth inning. It's his 14th of the season, his second extra base hit of the night, and the Marlins have blown it open here in the fifth inning. They lead 5-0. That from 940 WINZ. The Yankees faced the Tigers in Detroit. They were down 3-0, ninth inning. Anthony Volpe, the rookie, came to the play with two runners on base. Volpe drives that in the air to right field and deep. Carpenter back, racing over, and that is gone! A three-run homer for Anthony Volpe to tie the game with two outs in the ninth. Number 20, it's 3-3, and Volpe has made history. The first Yankee rookie to have 20 home runs and 20 stolen bases in a season. That from the Yes Network. But you know what? After they had tied the game in the bottom of the 10th inning, the Yankees lost the game. The 0-2, swinging a broken back ground ball back to the mound. Loisa get down to second one. Torres relay to first, and he threw it away! Coming home, Carpenter! Tigers win! That was Dan Dickerson, 97.1, the tickets. The Giants, the Padres. The Giants would win this one in a, after an ugly sixth inning. Mikey Stremski had a hand in that. The product of... High drive to left. Soto back at the wall. Out of here. So an opposite field home run for Mike Yastrzemski, 7-0. Yeah, that was later in the game after that ugly second inning for the Padres. So the Padres are just about dead. The Giants still fighting for a wild card spot in the National League. A special prosecutor in the Dominican Republic is investigating a second formal complaint that the Rays' Wander Franco engaged in a relationship with a minor. It's the latest of three such accusations against Franco, who remains on paid administrative leave. Taylor, what else you got? Buster, picks, picks, picks for week one. The College Game Day podcast uh, is live as of right now when we're recording this on YouTube and where you're listening to this podcast at the moment. Uh, Stanford Steve, Reese Davis, Pete Thamel, they're going through the uh, the biggest games of week one in college football. Very excited. Went to the to the rent last night, Buster. We, we chatted. I was at a tailgate last night. It was, uh, it was good times. It was good. Uh, it was like nice. you were there. It was fun. Way to go. Yeah. That, yeah, it sounds like it was fun. You got to come out here for a Bobcat tailgate at some point. Oh, yeah, I would love that. The colder, the better, honestly. Let's get layered up. Well, uh, I mean, we're not talking about cold. We're talking about serious cold. Yeah, I'm in. I'm <laughs> By the way, listening. I've been getting my snowblower prepped. That's how it is out here. <laughs> how many times did you use it last last season? 26. You think, oh, man, let's see if we can break it this year. Uh, I think there's a chance. <laughs> we're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. All aboard. It's the Rabbit Train with Carl Rabbit. Our Ravage play-by-play man on Sunday Night Baseball. Ravi, where is the Ravi train at the moment? Ravi train is uh, driving up Route 9 in Connecticut on the way to Bradley International Airport to pick up uh, one of the five Ravi, uh, Ravi kids and then bring him back. And then Ravi goes back up to Bradley Airport on Saturday to fly to Houston for our Sunday Nighter, which is Astros and Yankees. Ravi putting some miles on the old vehicle. <laughs> I thought you were going to say putting uh, airline miles on because we've had this running yeah. banter during the course of this season. How, you know, if the game's in the East Coast, it's obviously for you guys, it's wonderful, short travel, the whole thing. And if it's on the West Coast, for me, coming from Montana, it's a hop, skip, and a jump. And it does feel like we're spending a lot of time on this side of the country, Carl. Buster, why do you sound like you're having some type of uh, joyous occasion when you're recounting the fact that we've been yeah, on the West Coast every weekend? And I'm assuming the rest of the way there's also potential to be on the West Coast. The only thing that's changed in the entire dynamic here from last year to this year is you moved your ass out to Montana. And as a result, it feels like we have now been forced to go to West Coast games far more. You've cursed. You know, we keep talking about Aaron Boone and Brian Cashman. It's you that caused the Yankees to struggle. Your move to Montana <laughs> is why we have not been in New York and the Yankees are struggling and the Red Sox struggled and the Mets struggled and all these East Coast teams struggled. It's Buster's fault. The curse of Buster. <laughs> yeah, quick flight tomorrow to Houston, you know. Get there in time. No, no, have some no, lunch. Head no, over to the ballpark. Nope. Nope. No, it's not. <laughs> so we've got Yankees and Astros this weekend. The Astros feel like that they're gathering momentum. Jordan Alvarez has been the biggest question mark during the regular season, I feel like. Um, you know, he now appears to be healthy, destroyed the Red Sox, wrecked Fenway Park in that series. Uh, you know, they add Justin Verlander. You and I have had this conversation with Alex Bregman about their experience. Boy. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I don't know if they're going to win the division. I do know that when October starts, they're the team I'm going to pick to get through the American League. What do you think? Well, I think a lot of people that uh, that play on these teams that have that experience don't necessarily care how they get into the postseason. 
It's nope. just that they get him. I think the Phillies would say the same thing. Um, I think the Astros would absolutely say the same thing. We don't care where we have to go. We'd like to have home field, but if we don't, we don't care. We've done this before. We know where we want to end up, and that's in the World Series. And as long as we get in, once this whole thing starts, we feel as confident as any other team in this, and probably a little bit more so. Um, and look, the Astros' recent World Series, I, I think for them, for them, cleansed a lot of the past and proved that we are a baseball team with baseball players that can beat anybody else um, on a level playing field. So I agree with you that the Houston Astros will feel as confident as any other team. By the same token, the Phillies will. I think the Dodgers will. It doesn't matter where they play. Look, the Braves will. I mean, a part of what's going on this year, while we have a whole bunch of different teams, we also have a thread of the very same teams that have had success here recently, and that bolsters them as uh, we get into September and certainly October. There's a whole bunch of teams that are going to feel like this is their year to win the World Series once the playoff starts, regardless of home field. Um, no question about it. And, and on the other hand, we do have a, a, a team that we expected historically, uh, based on their history, to be in a position to make the playoffs this year, and that would be the Yankees. Uh, and I must say that, you know, given the disaster that is this season, barring the word from Brian Cashman, I was so glad when we got word that Jason Dominguez, Austin Wells were promoted for this series. Because then we're like, okay, that's what we're going to talk about because the Yankees are now focused on the future and we're focused on their future. It's a big deal. Um, I, I, you know, how the Yankees turn the page, it feels like they, they've, it feels like instead of the page, they've taken a whole new book off the shelf. I saw where Hal Steinbrenner was talking about changes, but then you read a little further and the changes appear to be in the way that they use their analytics and they're scouting, and they dive deeper into why their drafts haven't yielded some of the performance players that other teams have and, and player development within the organization, which I think is, is really important. Um, it may not satisfy those that are clamoring for more significant changes like Cashman, Boone, uh, et cetera. And, you know, I, I think, and we discussed this on our on our Sunday night call yesterday, it always strikes me that if you just look at the Yankees when the season started, forget the injuries, really forget what happened in 2023, you certainly could make the case that they would have a chance to compete for a World Series. And so many things didn't go right, uh, injuries, etc., that they are so far removed from a playoff conversation it feels like, well, they need to radically blow everything up. And I understand that, but the truth is, for so many of these teams that have fallen out, Yankees included, um, there's just there's not a huge line of demarcation between those that can get into the tournament and those that don't. And look, it all went wrong for New York. They do need to make significant changes. All you have to do is look at Atlanta. Look at Tampa Bay. Uh, look at the teams that are now fighting for playoff spots that haven't done it in recent years. The Reds, uh, a good example of that. The Marlins, to some extent. You do need to realize 
what they do is they don't spend the same money we do, and they're younger, they're more athletic, they put the ball in play. Gosh, I, I love Mark DeRosa on the uh, MLB Network uh, morning show, and, and they show oftentimes, Buster, the simplest things. Player puts ball in play, defense makes a misplay, uh, speedy runner forces a quick throw. Bad things happen when you strike out. There's no good outcome from a strikeout unless the ball gets away from the catcher and you can get to first. The Yankees have got to got to recognize we need fewer strikeouts. We need the ball in play. We need to create a bunch of havoc. These other teams seem to do it at a greater level. And, you know, if analytics and player development are going to help them, then that's great. Uh, I'm not sure that's going to satisfy those that are that are begging for some type of radical change, but I'm not even sure that a radical change is going to be the answer. You know, this is about the person, to me, that put this team and these players on a roster. And if, if Ryan is willing to acknowledge we need to make significant changes in the way that we select players, trade for players, how they, uh, how they fit together and their makeup, then great. Then they've done it. You don't need to make a radical change if the people within the organization are willing to make change. And that's been, I think, what's where there's been a reluctance. And, and perhaps this is the wake-up call. So I don't, I don't necessarily think you need to change personnel if personnel is willing to change. And I do think that, uh, you know, the changes you mentioned, I mean, they're going to be elemental. And I'll give you an example. Like, the we're getting the first wave of some of the change you're going to see with the Yankees. Jason Dominguez, you know, a power-hitting center fielder. He can run really well. But another thing that's really important about his skills is that he's a switch hitter. He's batting from the left side, which has been an issue for the Yankees. Austin Wells, his catcher who in AAA this year had an 802 OPS, left-handed hitter. (laughs) Like, you know, you yeah, I think for years and years and years, you just assume the Yankees would always have the, you know, some of the best left-handed hitting in baseball. And in recent years, as you know, that has not been the issue. They have not had good right. matchups against opposing teams. We've had conversations with opposing managers who are like, yeah, we're thrilled that the Yankees have such a right-handed lineup. So to have Dominguez, Wells, and then whatever they add going forward, you would assume is going to lean lefty to try to balance out this lineup of Judge and Stanton and a two right-handed hitters, DJ LeMahieu. I think that's going to yep. be really important. And I hear you about yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what Hal Steinbrenner does because you know and I know, like because we I lived in the Northeast and you know listen to talk radio up there, uh, you know on the internet and wow. I mean, you're talking about an angry fan base, and they want, uh, you know, they want Brian Cashman fired. They want Aaron Boone fired. And Hal Steinbrenner's just not like his father. Like, he, yeah. uh, he's not uh, – we heard Steve Cohen early this year talk about how he wasn't going to fire Buck Showalter. He wasn't going to fire Billy Epler because he didn't want the organization to get a reputation for being a place that they just fire a bunch of people if they lose some games. And in uh, the Yankees' case, Hal Steinbrenner – that's where he is. Like he is uh, so opposite his father in terms of his reaction to these sort of situations. I don't know if he's going to make a major change uh, in terms of the personnel in his organization, but I agree with you. Like the people within the organization have to demonstrate that they're willing to change from what got them into this corner. Yeah. And look, I, I think it's interesting. If you talk about George Steinbrenner, he was firing people left and right in an era 
when people's jobs were generally safe and secure. You knew if you yeah. performed, you would have a job. Now, given the current environment we all live in, given certain uh, certain characters on television shows, the line of the show was, you're fired? Well, that's what this generation and this culture is all about. You, you perform or you're out, as opposed to you perform, you don't perform and you're out, as opposed to if you perform, you stay. Now, the level of, uh, of tolerance is, is somewhere between zero and zero and a half. It, it doesn't exist, and it doesn't even have to be based in your performance. So how is kind of going against the grain of the culture, the society, where George went against the grain, and one was to fire people, and the other is, is not to fire people. I just find it interesting that both of those men uh, who share the last name are doing things kind of opposite of what the culture of the times currently are. Very, It's just interesting to me the way that that's played out. I, I don't yet. Look, I don't think I don't think you need to make a radical change. Again, as long as the people that are there are willing to acknowledge we have to change. The problem is, I think, Buster, is that a lot of these people that are waiting out. If Yankee Stadium was the castle, there's a lot of folks waiting outside to storm the castle. Um is a lot of the folks were saying, but but the phone was ringing on change three years ago, two years ago, a year ago, and nobody yeah. picked it up. Like meaning nobody nobody was willing to change. We were sort of steadfast to die on this hill, and, and it hasn't worked. And I know, look, there are former Yankees who will point to say, the last time they won was 2009. Next year is 2024. Yeah, I, I, it's funny. You and I are. Uh, we'll always avoid politics, talking politics in the podcast. Uh, but of course, that you know that phrase you mentioned was one popularized by Donald Trump when he uh, ran The Apprentice, uh, and, and that phrase was actually one that George Steinbrenner was attached to. George Steinbrenner. Here's George Steinbrenner doing a beer commercial with a manager he fired five times, right. Billy Martin. Give right. a listen. You know, a lot of people think Billy and I argue all the time. Actually, we agree on just about everything, right, Bill? Yeah, you betcha, George. We even drink the same beer. Light beer from Miller's. Light's got a third less calories than the regular beer, and it's less filling. And the best thing is it tastes so great. No, George, the best thing is less filling. No, Bill, it tastes great. Less filling, George. Billy, it tastes great. Less filling, George. Billy? Yeah, George. You're fired. Oh, not again. All right, Carl, let's talk about the waiver claim chaos that hit baseball yesterday. <laughs> All these players cut free by the Angels. And look, I, I, and there's no other way to, to I think, characterize what happened with the Angels this week other than Artie Moreno was uh, angry at what uh, how this season has played out and basically flipped the board game. And he decided, you know what, I'm going to try to save as much money as possible. And so he dumped these players into the waiver claim process. And guess who benefited? Two teams right at the forefront of that, you know, teams that on the fringe of contention, you got the the Cleveland Guardians, who at the time that the, they made the waiver claims, according to Fangraphs, their chances for making the playoffs are 5.5%. They're five games behind the Minnesota Twins. They knew that the Twins coveted some of the pitchers uh, who were available in waivers. And then you have the Cincinnati Reds, who are in the National League wildcard race. They add Jay Buhner. Uh, excuse me. They had Harrison Bader. Uh, they right. had Hunter Renfro. The Cleveland Indians had three pitchers, you know, highlighted by Lucas Giolito. What'd you think of the moves by those two teams? 
Yeah, I, you know, I know we're going to talk about it. Um, you know, we're, we're all kind of led to believe that trade deadline means the trade deadline and your team is going to look exactly the same when the postseason starts as it does at the conclusion of the trade deadline. And, you know, this waiver uh, waiver acquisitions proves that's literally the furthest thing from the truth. Um, and people have a problem with that. And, and, and there's a part of me that understands the problem. There's a part of me that's like, wait a minute, what? What's so, what is wrong with that? Like, this is I don't necessarily see the dynamic, the ginormous problem with having teams be able to alter their makeup for the rest of this season, and then who knows down the road where those players end up? Yeah, are they blocking uh, the Twins, etc.? Sure, but that 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 to me is you know Harrison Bader said it yesterday, like. Uh, He's crushed that he's leaving New York, the team he rooted for growing up and the city he grew up in, but it's a business. I mean, I think sometimes we forget the bottom line is the bottom line. It's a business. We are trying to make money, and we generally, generally make money the more we win. Generally, there's other ways you can make money and not win. We've seen that in this sport as well. But I I don't have – look, I didn't take a big umbrage with it. I, I love – the change that was made by these teams. I don't necessarily think the Guardians are going to get in. I think Minnesota's pitching is a lot better than it's been. Look, at, at the root of this whole thing, Buster, was to me the disastrous decision the Angels made at the deadline when they said we're, we're going for it. And objectively, it felt like, well, that's just a mistake. Like, that's not going to work. Uh, Mike's trout's been hurt. You don't have the pitching. It, it's not going to work. And yet, you know, they, they pushed all the chips into the table. And as you said, it appears as if Artie Moreno looked at his table, stood up, took the board, and flipped it and stormed out of the room. Yeah, no doubt about it uh, that, that he did that. Uh, and these other contending teams or teams that are trying to get into it, you know, suddenly for, uh, for, for nothing in return, they get these veteran players who potentially could be difference makers in the postseason. Like we saw Harrison Bader, you know, what he did for yes. the Yankees in the postseason last year. You know, the Reds have one of the 10 worst, uh, you know, uh, defensive metrics outs above average for their outfield this year. That's going to change with Hunter Renfro and with Harrison Bader. And you know what? Cleveland is not chasing a, a juggernaut. You know, that the Minnesota Twins sort of been popping along and they're leading the American League Central. I don't think anybody thinks of them as being in the class of some of the best teams in the American League. And who knows? Maybe Cleveland can go on a run the way Seattle did, win a few games, and, and uh, you know, in what appears to be Terry Francona's last year as manager, give them a great send-off. I would push back to you. I do think they need to do something to close this loophole um, with the waiver claims. And, and all they need to do, and I think it was Paul Mikitis who suggested this in the podcast the other day, all they need to do is to basically tell the teams, look, you're allowed, you can dump. If you want to look at other players in your 40-man roster, look at your young players, and you want to turn over your free agents, uh, you know, potential free agents, that's fine, but you're paying them the rest of the year. I think it's a bad precedent for baseball to have on the books to you know, enable owners like Artie Moreno where he can just say, you know what, I'm mad, I want to save a few million dollars, so I'm going to throw a bunch of players out into the marketplace. Because, look, they changed the rules back in 2019 with the waiver wire in August, in part because they didn't like the idea of suddenly big market teams, especially potentially having the ability to add
add a bunch of players than work with the team the whole year. They wanted essentially the integrity of the rosters to, to, to remain intact for these teams that had been planning and building and, and, and through the offseason and spring training. They didn't want to have contending teams suddenly adding two, three, four players. And I'd hate the idea, Carl, that we would get to you know, late August every year and then you say, okay, which among these 10, 12 contending teams are just going to dump players to save a few million bucks? I don't think that's a good look for the sport. But how many, how many of those contending teams dump players? Uh, non, excuse me, non-contenders. Yeah, you know, let's say, yeah, I, let's yeah, say I, that. I, I, that uh, feels like you're just, that feels to me like the owners, like we're, we're, we're more concerned about the owners than we are about, let's say, Harrison Bader getting into a playoff race. Like, I, I do think that there is something for the player in all of this. I think Hunter Renfro would rather be there than in Los Angeles for September. September baseball is so important, meaningful. Let me clarify. Meaningful September baseball is so important to a baseball player. Um, I think it sucks that Moreno made a terrible decision uh, based on what whatever advice he had gotten to try to go for it. Uh, those players could have easily been dealt at the deadline. So it's a month later. I I, I don't know. I, I, I find it interesting. I find the Reds a hell of a lot more interesting. I think it I think the Guardians now have a chance to, if they can chase down the Twins, it makes it more interesting. Nothing about the Angels is interesting. Literally nothing about the Angels is interesting and wouldn't have been interesting had they kept those players. Zero. Don't, don't care. So I don't want to reward owners for having a temper tantrum and just trying to save a few million bucks. And I think most owners aren't built that way, but I'd hate for – that to become standard operating procedure. I hope that what the Angels did this week is just an outlier where you get an owner who's angry about the way that it's played out and he dumps a quarter of the roster. I don't want that to happen on a regular basis. I don't either, and I do think it's a bit aberrational. I think it's a petulant move by an immature owner who knows he made a bad decision, who's dealing with, uh, you know, with with this possibility of losing uh, Otani, which, you know, in the end, given his... Given his arm and and given some of the things that we've talked about in the past with his sort of independence amongst the other players as a as a massive issue, I, I look. I don't think this is just about the fact that uh, he's trying to save a few million dollars. He realized he made a disastrous decision, and the future does not look very bright at all for a guy that thought perhaps he was convinced the future looks really bright this year. I do. I hope. I think it's more aberrational than something we'll see consistently. All right. Uh, two more topics for you. Let's go about. Uh, you know, give me forty-five seconds on each of these. Yeah. Who you got as the front runner for the National League MVP? Mookie Betts or uh, Ronald Acuna yeah. Jr., who both had great nights last night in the first game of right. this epic four-game series between these two teams. Yeah, I, I don't. There is no answer to that question. It's a. Uh, it's a. To me, it's a. It's to me. It's bet. It's it's bets, and it's Acuna. Freddie's WAR numbers are as good, if not better, than uh, than Ronald's. I understand that. I think there are certain numbers similar to Judge last year. The thirty sixty thing is ridiculous. Um, but Mookie Betts is hitting four fifty for a month. If he does that again in September, I, I would not know how you don't look at somebody that carried their team uh, to another division and just seems to get better. 
Betts doesn't run. Acuna runs. Freeman's got more steals than Mookie. Uh, that, that question is unanswerable today. Okay. Uh, I love the video of Freddie Freeman after Acuna hit the home run. It was a shot taken from right field. And the cameraman locked in on Freddie Freeman's face as the ball soared over the fence. Acuna with that grand slam. And Freddie was like, wow. <laughs> he was so impressed with his former teammate. Uh, we get word yesterday from the Chicago White Sox. They've named Chris Getz to take over baseball operations. Uh, for me, it's not a surprise that Jerry Reinsdorf, the White Sox owner, probably the most loyal owner in sports, went with somebody that he knows. And I must say, mm. Chris Getz, you know, he's got a great reputation. Uh, you know, as someone who is uh, very advanced in, in analytics and how they prepare minor leaguers, which is what he's been doing in recent years. In his press conference, he was impressive, Carl. He kind of, you know, we've seen Jerry DePoto have a lot of success, a former player with the Seattle Mariners. He kind of reminded me a little bit of DePoto and how well he handled himself. What do you think of the future of the White Sox? Well, I'm never going to begrudge anybody uh, who has an opportunity, and I, I certainly hope it works out for Chris. I, I listened to a little bit of that. Um, I, I He was very impressive. I think there's a lot of very impressive people. I, I think Jerry got out of his comfort zone a little bit when they hired Pedro Grafol. Um, I hope that this is a combination, Getz and Grafol, that can work. Uh, I'm a Pedro. I'm, I'm a fan of Pedro's. I think he, he can relate to his players. I think it's critical. I think he's really smart. Uh, but, uh, but on the same hand, when we talked about as long as there are people within, or, within an organization that have struggled that are willing to change. You don't need to radically change the organization. Let's see if this decision allows the White Sox perhaps to go in a different direction than they've been going in because it hasn't been, it hasn't been nearly as successful as many other teams. And if that's the case, perfect. Again, you don't need to make a radical change if the people within the organization are willing to recognize we need to change and then actually change. It's one thing to give the lip service. Oh, we got to do this. We got to do that. We got to do that. And then you kind of put one toe in the water instead of diving into real significant change. If Chris Getz and Pedro and Jerry can show that we, we recognize we need to change things and it starts today, more power to them. I have no problem with that. Yeah, and that was a big part of what Chris Getz talked about yesterday. He's different. What they're going to do is different. They are keeping Pedro as manager uh, for 2024, as Chris told reporters yesterday. All right, Carl, thanks for doing this. Yeah, I'll, I'll see you in uh, Houston. I just got a little, you know, puddle jumper that uh, takes me the few minutes to get Sorry, there. Sorry, you're breaking you know, you know, your up. It's weird. You're breaking up. All of a sudden, I stopped being able to hear you. I don't know what you were getting at at the end there, but <laughs> I think the podcast is over, but I, I, I can't hear you anymore, so I'm going to just hang up and, and listen to the rest. Oh, man. Good luck with your wagon train going to Houston tomorrow. I go to Atlanta tonight, which means I have zero chance of making that connection. Zero. So I will be flying to Houston on Sunday morning from Atlanta. Chris Antonetti is the president of baseball operations for the Cleveland Guardians, who claimed three pitchers uh, that have been placed on waivers by the Angels earlier this week. Chris, those, uh, those pitchers were awarded to you guys yesterday. Those waiver claims were awarded to you yesterday. Uh, tell me what your thought process was behind this as you began to look at it. 
Well, we were coming off a pretty good road trip where we went four and two against Toronto and Minnesota and closed the gap a little bit. So uh, we have five games left. We recognize we have an uphill battle to try to close that gap, but we felt it was it was worth the effort um, because this was really a unique case where we could acquire acquire really quality players um, without parting with any player value on our end and. You know, I give our ownership a great deal of credit for being willing to make the financial investment to make this happen because that's really what allowed us to do this. And you know, when once we had the financial sign off, we seemed to we felt it made sense once we were able to figure out how we could clear the roster room for them. So, if you can, just sort of tell me what you see in the three guys that uh, that you acquired. Because certainly, Lucas Giolito did not have a good month of. Uh, of August, but a lot of a terrific track record at times with the Chicago White Sox. Yeah, Lucas has a great track record and being a pretty consistent performer at the major league level. He had a couple of tough games. I think one was against uh, the Braves in his first start there where they scored, I think, nine against him. The other was in the Phillies where he gave up a few home runs. But if you look at the quality of his stuff, uh, his components, they all were on track to where they were in the past. He just you know gave up a few more home runs with the Angels than he historically has. So we feel like we're bringing in a guy that can help stabilize our rotation, which has been an area of, of flux for us over the last few weeks and last couple of months. So hopefully he can come in and, and help us there. And then, you know, Matt Moore, Ronaldo Lopez, two guys that have experience pitching late in the games uh, and hopefully provide Tito and Carl some additional options if, you know, if we get to that point where we could either close out games or keep us close to give us a chance to come back. How much of this, uh, from your perspective, was offensive, and how much was defensive? Given that the you know the Minnesota Twins certainly would have been in a position to to claim those same pitchers. A little bit of both. Um, I think our first focus was you know, how much, how would these guys help us? Um, you know, we do have an, a few games against the Twins, but we're also we've got a tough slate of games against some really good teams, and we felt we'd be best equipped to, to win as many of those games as we can by adding these reinforcements. And there was a secondary benefit of, you know, keeping uh, these guys from going to teams behind us that are all competing for the postseason spot. And um, whether that was directly to the Twins or even some of the other teams we need to play here down the stretch because uh, a lot of those teams were behind us in the claiming order. So a lot of the chatter I saw on social media after the, the claims were awarded was, well, the, you know, Cleveland didn't do uh, a ton of stuff to add before the trade deadline, so why would they do this now? And I, you know, my first reaction was, it's acquisition cost. That's what it comes down to. Um, I, I, is that right? I mean, is that uh, that's exactly you it. it was a unique opportunity. Yeah, that's exactly it, Buster. In this case, you know, if you look back 20 or 29 days ago now, what these players were traded for, there was a lot of player value that went back and in return, not just the financial element. And, you know, in this case, as I mentioned, there was zero player value and only finances, and that changes the equation for us. And, you know, we felt in this case it was worthwhile to take that shot. Okay. Uh, I wanted to ask you about this situation this week from 30,000 feet because you're uh, someone who has a lot of influence in the sport. You're never going to be the first to say that you never acknowledge it but the way you're respected within the game been curious about you know what your perspective is on on what took place this week because my memory was in 2019 part of the reason why they changed the waiver wire rules was major league baseball teams generally wanted the integrity of the rosters uh for the majority of the season to matter uh and in this case we're seeing a, a bulk of players shift late in august from 30,000 feet, you know, not your situation in particular, uh, how do you feel about that, that you know, to have, uh, you know, possibly a situation where teams, um, you know, could move a lot of players to save money late in August? 
I think it warrants a discussion, Buster. I think it makes sense to think about and talk about. I understand what's happened recently. At the same time, you know, we've had the waiver rules in place for a couple of years, and this is the first time it's happened. So I think what we have to ask ourselves, is this a unique set of circumstances that led teams to act in a certain way, or is this something that we could expect to happen uh, moving forward? And I think if we got to the sense of an industry that we expect this is going to be a likely pattern of behavior, maybe it's something we would want to address. But at the same time, if we thought this was maybe a unique set of circumstances that led to this, I'd be careful about wanting to try to over-legislate for something that may not end up being a problem in the long term. All right. Just having experienced the uh, the August 1st trade deadline and the shift in the waiver wire rules, uh, you know, how are you feeling about those and how the, those were changed back in 2019? So I know there's been a lot made about these transactions, but obviously you know well, Buster, there were players that you know went between teams all the time in the trade waiver process in a similar process, right, where a team just claimed a guy and the other team let him go for his contract, and that process was the exact same where it went to the team with the worst record. And so players did change hands a lot at that point, maybe even more frequently than now. So um, like I said, I think it's worth – us talking about it as an industry and decide what we'd like that to look like moving forward and that this is something we'd like to try to put some rules in place to prevent. But it's also not a super easy solution because there's you know, some complicating factors in trying to navigate a solution. So tell me what you're seeing in your team now as we got a month to go, uh, you know, going into to play yesterday, five games behind the Twins, Fangraphs has you at 5.5% chance of making the postseason. How are you feeling about things? Yeah, like you said, our odds are, are certainly stacked against us, but there's an opportunity. Um, you know, we feel like we've added reinforcements to our pitching staff. We're going to add a, you know, we have Cal Quantrill also coming back off the IL this weekend. Josh Naylor's only a couple of days behind. He's been out on a, a rehab assignment and is making great progress. Uh, we'll add David Fry back to the roster today. Uh, and then, you know, as we look forward, Shane Bieber and Tristan McKenzie are also progressing. They're both throwing bullpens, and they could rejoin our major league rotation here at some point. Uh, in the month of September as well. So uh, we feel like we our team is you know, trending in the right direction, and hopefully you know, the, with the group of guys we have here, we can make it interesting. And like I said, I'm not sure if you know, it will be enough to close the gap by the end of the year, but uh, we want to give it a try. The way I wrote, I sent a tweet out after you guys made those claims yesterday about how I felt like this was you guys as a front office running out of ground ball. That yeah, you know, you, it may be that you're that it's not going to work out, but it felt like that you demonstrate to your players, hey, you're trying. And it, it reminded me a little bit of when Alex Anthopoulos in the summer of, you know, 2021 made all those outfield trades after uh, acquisitions after Ronald Cunha Jr. hurt his knee. And Alex, you know, has told me, look, I I didn't expect us to go on a World Series run, but I thought it was important to demonstrate to the players that we're trying too. I think that's an important element, um, and again, it all comes down to what is the opportunity and what's the cost. You know, we obviously made the choice a month ago that we weren't willing to pay the the trade the player acquisition cost, uh, even if we were willing to make the financial investment. And now, once that equation changed, um, the value equation changed. And like I said, I give our ownership a ton of credit because they invested additional money that they did certainly didn't need to invest in this team to try to give us the best chance to um, win as many games as we can by the end of the year. And, and that's actually been a consistent theme for us during you know the opportunities and years in which we've been competitive to add players. The limiting factor during the season isn't our ability to absorb most contracts. It usually comes down to the player value. And this, I think, is another example of us having 
at least the resources during the season to, to make improvements when there are those opportunities. Your manager, Terry Francona, will make a speech in Cooperstown one day. You know, he's spoken with reporters recently about, uh, you know, how he's been feeling during the course of this year, you know, with an open question as to whether or not he's going to come back next year. Tell me, uh, you know, what those conversations have been like between you and Tito during the course of the year. Yeah, I think it's probably best to allow Tito to elaborate further. But, Buster, you know, we Tito and I and Mike, we talk all the time. We've got a pretty good sense of how things are going for him, where his mindset might be. And this has been just a really hard year for him physically on the heels of a number of hard years over the past few. And it continues to take a toll on him. And I think we've been really consistent in saying that, you know, we want Tito to manage here as long as he's able to and as long as the job doesn't conflict with his, you know, his physical well-being, uh, his happiness, his fulfillment, uh, and and the life he'd like to have after baseball. And to the extent those things ever came in conflict, it would make sense for us to sit down and, and talk about those things. And I think Tito shared, you know, his perspective on what he's currently thinking. And, you know, our expectation is we'll sit, sit down again at the end of the year and um, see what might make sense for the future. Whenever uh, he uh, decides to, to retire as a manager, what do you think his legacy is going to be in baseball? Oh, he's, I mean, it would be hard to um, overstate the impact Tito's had, not just on the game and franchises that he's impacted, but the thing I go to immediately is the people. Uh, I mean, if you talk to you know any player in the game, any coach, any front office staff, any media member, he's universally respected, and everyone has some story or multiple stories about how Tito has helped them in their career, or how selfless he's been in helping them bring out the best versions of themselves, or um, just the type of teammate that he is. And I think there are so many things that uh, you know, that, that he'll leave behind whenever that time comes. That um, I think we'll all have the opportunity to reflect and cherish those memories at some point. All right, Chris. Well, thanks for doing this. Always great to talk with you. Likewise, Buster. Always great to be with you. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus Chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one and done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code BASEBALL. That's code BASEBALL. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. Zero, zero, zero. 
This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter, producer for MLB.com, who last night was locked into Dodgers and Braves. And Sarah, I was thinking that that was absolutely perfect for you because uh, you got a chance to watch great players doing great things with the deck kind of cleared, you know, not uh, not with 10 games going on. Essentially, two games, you had the Padres and the Giants, but then the Dodgers and the Braves, the whole baseball world focused on that. Um, it was a lot of fun, but at the end of the day, and, and I'm not going to hold you to your this answer as a final answer, but right now in this moment, if you had a National League MVP ballot, which guy would you pick? Would you pick Betts? Would you pick Acuna Jr.? Would you pick Freddie Freeman for that matter? I knew you were going to ask it, and I still don't know what to say. I mean, you know, I think back to, it's not quite the same, but I think back to that, what, 2013 MVP when uh, Miguel Cabrera won the Triple Crown and Mike Trout an amazing season. And I kind of thought that maybe Mike Trout should be MVP. Miggy was amazing as well. But I feel like we're running into one of these things. We've seen a handful of seasons in MLB history where one player sets a record that is amazing and has an incredible season. And maybe the fact that it's never been done before, hadn't been done in a while, kind of ends up swaying voters. But then you have another player who maybe it isn't a record, although as I'm about to tell you, maybe there are some records for Mookie Bass. Uh, but maybe it isn't the conventional round number 3060, which is also having an amazing season. I mean, I go back and forth every night. I want them to tie. Like, I literally want our second ever MVP tie. If I were picking this exact second, I might go with Mookie. I don't know. I really <laughs> it's not an answer. You can't know. say I might I go with one of the two players. You knew I wouldn't give a real answer. You knew <laughs> I wouldn't. I mean, come on. But I'm so glad I'm not voting in this one. And oh my gosh, to the people who are. Okay. Well, I'm going to just keep peppering <laughs> that question at you as long as they continue to both put up big numbers. All right, let's play the numbers game. Number three. All right, so number three is 30 and 60. Everyone who knows this segment, knows us, knows everything, knew that would be a number today. Last night, Roland Kuna Jr. with an epic grand slam became the first player in MLB history with 30 home runs and 60 swan bases in a season. And he was actually already in his own club. No one had ever even had 29 and 59. Well, we don't put uh, 29, 59 on Hall of Fame plaques. We put 30 and 60. So, of course, here he is with the round number, all of that, his own club. He also, of course, had 41 and 37, 41 homers, 37 swan bases back in 2019. So he has two 30-30 seasons. He is the first player in MLB history with two of those through the age 25 season. The record for 30-30 season is five, held by both Barry and Bobby Bonds. So he's already on an amazing pace, you know, speaking of pace around the Betas. And he's just so much fun to watch. So 
It was awesome to see that happen last night. And it was. It was almost like an exclusive window in TV talk. And it was really cool to know that every baseball fan was definitely watching that last night. Number two. Number two is 38. So, again, kind of felt like that MVP race was playing out in real time. During this game last night, Mookie bats his two home runs. Dodgers come very close to tying the game back up, maybe winning it. They end up losing, but Mookie plays, of course, a huge role. So he now has 38 home runs this season, all of them as leadoff spots. That is tied for the third most home runs out of the leadoff spot in the season behind only George Springer in 2019 and Alfonso Soriano in uh, 2006. They each had 39. <laughs> so he has two home runs entering September 1st, shy of setting a record for home runs by a leadoff guy in a season. And I love this one. He has 26 career multi-homer games out of the leadoff spot. Next most in a career is 19. By Ian Springer and Soriano. He also has six this season, which is one tribe behind Kyle Schwarber last year for the most in a single season. And, you know, I mean, rare that I bring up another sport, but everyone talks about Steph Curry and how he has redefined, you know, the way a lot of players play basketball. I think we may look back at this like two to three season stretch from Mookie Betts and Acuna as well, but really Mookie with the power and see that he redefined how we believe in leadoff hitters, what we see from them. I mean, I mentioned Torber, I mentioned Springer, they do it as well, but no one does this with the power of the leadoff spot the way Mookie Betts does. And if you talked about 20 years ago, no one would have said, oh, yeah, guy's going to hit 40 home runs as a leadoff hitter. Number one. Number one is, let's say, one. So, we have the Astros on Sunday baseball this weekend. So, I think it's a good time to talk about the AL West. The entire AL West, those top three teams, are separated by just a game. We have the Astros and the Mariners in a virtual time. I mean, the Astros are ah. The Mariners are technically ahead. They were slightly better one percentage. It's basically a tie. And then the Rangers are a game behind. So this is just the third time since division began in 1969. The three teams in the same division were within a game or fewer of the lead. Entering September, the other two times, in 1980 in the NL East and 1969 in the NL West, which also means this is the first time it's happened since we split two out uh, three divisions per league. Either way, it's a very tight race, one we haven't seen in a while. This way, it's going to be really exciting to see how this plays out. Yeah, without a doubt, this is going to be the best division race 
Uh, we're all excited. And, and I love that the, the difference between the teams, you've got the Astros defending champions trying to become the first team since those 98 to 2000 Yankees to go back to back. You've got the up and coming Mariners, young players, your guy, Julio Rodriguez going nuts. Uh, and then you have the Texas Rangers who it's interesting no matter what happens the rest of the way, the Rangers have had a great season of progress, but they're going to feel differently about it if they don't wind up making the playoffs, you know, after the recent slide. All right. So the question of the day on the podcast has been about this these waiver wire dumps that we saw the Angels do this week. And, you know, Mike, I said to Carl Ravitch that I, I think it's a bad thing for baseball uh, to have, uh, you know, this become precedent where, you know, a team that's out of contention basically does a mass salary dump to save a little money and potentially impact playoff races, given, you know, the goals that they had when they changed the waiver rules in 2019. They wanted to keep, you know, some of the integrity of, of the rosters intact down the stretch. They didn't want to have ringers jo- joining new teams down the stretch. Carl says he finds it fascinating. He finds it interesting. Uh, you know, it's more interesting now with the Reds, with what they did, the Cleveland with what they did. I think that baseball should have a conversation about closing this loophole, uh, you know, to, to allow teams to dump salary like this, this late in the year. Which way would you go on this? I mean, it does feel that this year was very stark. What we saw happening, and I feel like got a lot of attention. So I do wonder if something will change, but I will go with Carl a bit here that it was really interesting to see what Cleveland did. Again, maybe they were just blocking the Twins, but hey, five games is five games. I know the Twins have an easy schedule down the stretch, but you just never know. So it will be interesting to see. I do think it raises this interesting dichotomy where the Guardians kind of resolved at the deadline to not really go for it. And then a month later, they're like, either, hey, let's go for it, or hey, let's block our rivals, either way. So the idea that the team can get back into it is interesting to see. But, I mean, you know, I'll always take more teams having a little bit of hope. So even if this takes away hope for the Angels, unfortunately, interesting to see what the Reds do. I mean, adding Harrison Bader and Hunter Renfro is basically saving you like X amount of runs right there, which is really, really interesting to see, especially for a team that Mall is very dynamic and very good at times is young and certainly unproven uh, at certain positions. So I think having that in their outfield is really, really interesting. But we'll see. I mean, it did feel, it felt unlike anything I had seen before in baseball. So I am curious to see how it looks next year. Yeah, long, long, long before you were born, 1976, Charlie Finley, the owner of the A's, was really unhappy with what was going on in baseball, the economic system, forthcoming free agency. And so he sold Vita Blue for a million and a half dollars to the Yankees. He sold Joe Rudy and Raleigh Fingers to the Boston Red Sox uh, and Bowie Kuhn, who was the uh, commissioner at the time, didn't think that uh, that that was good for the competitive, uh, you know, reflect sort of the competitive spirit of the game, the idea of big market teams buying these players. And so he reversed those sales uh, in season. Um, It it will, will be very interesting to see how Major League Baseball responds to this. All right, Sarah, thanks for doing this. 
Thanks so much for having me, Buster. Todd Radom is the chief executive of our weekly quiz. He's a graphic artist whose work can be seen at ball fields all across America or all around the world. Or you can go to his website, uh, toddradom.com. Todd, how are you doing this week? It's September, Buster. All is good. How about that? In a month, we're into the playoffs. That'll be, I, I, yeah, I can't believe we're that close, but that's that's where we're coming down to. I guess, you know, when you get a baseball owner flipping the board and being angry and, and giving up on the season, putting all his players on waivers, that signals that the finish line is in sight. Absolutely. that <laughs> All of that signals that the finish line is in sight. There's a little chill in the air. There, we've got uh, things being, players being waived. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it's funny. I was I had a curveball question I'm going to throw at you, but I'm throwing a curveball myself because as we were just having that discussion, I thought, hey, I'm going to ask Todd this question. Carl Ravitch and I were going back and forth on what happened with the Angels this week, and I said, look, uh, my perspective is Major League Baseball does need to do something to not reward owners of non-contending teams late in the year in an, you know, trying to save money, throwing a bunch of players out on waivers. I, you know, my feeling is that's not good. And they do not want to have that become precedent where suddenly in late August, teams are like, you know what, we're going to lose. Just dump veteran guys out and have a massive, you know, let's say that, uh, you know, eight, 10 teams decided to take this route and you had 20, 25 players available to contending teams. I just don't think it's a good look for the sport. And I think they need to close the loophole. Paul Embikides had a great idea the other day, which is essentially to say that after August 1st, the team is responsible for the cost of these players. So if the, you know, the Yankees do what they did, which is to, you know, uh, move out Harrison Bader in part because they want to make room for Jason Dominguez down the stretch. They want to give Bader a chance to play on a contending team. Okay. That's different than what the Angels did which is basically just try to save a few pennies. Which way do you feel? How do you feel about this? Well, Buster, does the money really matter at that point? I mean, that's one of the things you need to ask. I mean, so it's sort of two different questions. Well, apparently it does to Artie Moreno. Because <laughs> that's, that's what he decided to do. He just did. He was like he wanted to save a few pennies at the end of a frustrating season. So he basically cut a quarter of his roster. Cutting your losses, literally. Yeah, I mean, we thought this wasn't going to be as much of an issue anymore with the expanded playoffs, right? That everybody's sort of close to being in contention right. uh, before the end of the year. And here we are. We're seeing these salary dumps. So, yeah, I think you got to do something. And how disheartening is it? For a fan base to have to live through this for uh, for a month, you know, or more in some cases. Yeah. And you've got exactly. teams that have totally given up. Red Sox, <clears throat> a little bit of a different situation there, but still, it's not a good look. No, that's what, and that's what I was trying to convince Carl of because Carl is like, well, it's interesting. It makes the Reds better, makes the Guardians better. I'm like, yeah, but you don't want this to become standard operating procedure for teams. You know, imagine if their owners watching what are, you know, if Artie Moreno normalizes this practice at the end of the year, you could have team a bunch of teams doing it. And, and I, that's not good. It's kind of like the opener, right? I mean, the, the yeah. Rays were the first team to use an opener and now it's standard operating procedure, you know, something that people around baseball don't like. Yeah. They yeah. Don't, but, and it's now become very normalized. And I would hope the, that that uh, that would not happen with the idea of salary dumps at the end of uh, August. 
Well, and we we normalized tanking several years ago when the Astros yes. and the Cubs went through things, and we see what's going on in Oakland right now. And right. there's a trusting of the process in certain places, but um, how often does this work? It did work in both of those cases. But again, when you it's 162 game regular season, as you and I both well know. And uh, ticket prices are elevated. The cost of acquiring games, however you stream them or watch them on cable, if you still got that going on, it's a bad thing. It's a bad message. It's bad for the sport. Um, well, I'm glad. I'm glad you have my back on this one. Uh, all right, let's get to this week's forgotten field, a place near and dear to my broken heart. Go ahead. <laughs> Buster, the year was 1953. Civic leaders in Minneapolis saw what the relocation of the Boston Braves meant to that team's new city, Milwaukee, and they had aspirations of big league status. A group calling themselves the Minneapolis Minutemen was formed, and they struck upon a plan to build a state-of-the-art stadium in Bloomington, equidistant from the downtowns of Minneapolis and St. Paul. They raised the necessary funds through bond sales, and when they were done, They had financed what would become the first home of the Minnesota Twins, Metropolitan Stadium, for $8.5 million with no expense to taxpayers. What? What? I know. Can you imagine? Forget the $8.5 million part. No expense to taxpayers. Their efforts were hailed as a great example of American private enterprise at its best. The parcel of land that they settled on was largely owned by a farmer named Paul Gerhardt. And he grew carrots, cabbages, peas, melons, onions, sweet corn, and radishes on what would eventually be the home to the 1965 All-Star Game and World Series. When some men see radishes buster, others dream of a curved triple-decker grandstand surrounded by acres and acres of cornfield and eventually parking lots. The Met originally hosted two, uh, excuse me, the minor league baseball Minneapolis Millers but it was built to be expanded for an eventual MLB team. The stadium's original configuration included 18,200 seats, and by the time the Twins departed for the Metrodome after the 1981 season, the place had gradually ballooned to about 46,000 seats. The Met hosted a series of MLB exhibition games as they awaited the inevitable, and when the Washington Senators stopped by in late 1960, it was all ready. They built it, and they came. The Twins were joined that same year by an NFL expansion franchise, the Minnesota Vikings, and Minnesota was on the big league map for good. Metropolitan Stadium's various piecemeal expansion projects resulted in a haphazardly disjointed look, with the original triple-deck grandstand joined by an unconnected, covered, double-deck extension down the first baseline and an uncovered section down the third baseline, along with large bleacher sections. Concourses connecting the various sections were never built, which meant that fans holding bleacher tickets had to exit the stadium in order to enter the grandstand. The exterior consisted of a series of brightly colored panels with bricks glazed in orange, yellow, brown, beige, and two shades of blue. The stadium was said to be a uh, stadium that perfectly embodied Minnesota. Not pretty, but sturdy and efficient. Busters Vikings! enjoyed great success at the Met in the 70s, but the Twins languished, causing attendance to plummet. Whatever its design quirks, Metropolitan Stadium was a perfectly decent place to play baseball, but the flaws for an NFL game were multiple. The stadium was the smallest in pro football, 
with only 47,000 seats, and the Vikings started to look for an alternative by the end of the decade. The future would be domed, Buster, and the Hubert H. Humphrey Metrodome, conveniently located in downtown Minneapolis, opened its doors in 1982. The 1,674th and final Twins game at the Met took place on a chilly, damp Wednesday afternoon, September 30th, 1981. The Twins fell to the Kansas City Royals 5-2, and the team moved indoors the following spring when Metropolitan Stadium became the first modern park to be abandoned. I would be willing to bet that some of our listeners had visited the site of old Metropolitan Stadium, and that some didn't even realize it. The ballpark was raised, and it was replaced by the gigantic Mall of America. Go to the northwest corner of Nickelodeon Universe, look down, and step up to where home plate used to be located, now commemorated in bronze. Take a couple of phantom practice swings and think about the stadium that rose from where cabbages and melons once grew, Metropolitan Stadium, which is this week's Forgotten Field. (laughs) Beautifully written, but I will tell you, I'm looking for that spot that commemorates where Drew Pearson pushed off of Nate Wright uh, and completed the Hail Mary, uh, what's known as the Hail Mary, the pass from Roger Staubach to Drew Pearson to beat my Vikings in 1975. Okay? In the last minute of that game, the Vikings should have gone to the Super Bowl that year, but no, the Cowboys, Drew Pearson, cheated, and they got to go. So close, Buster. The Minnesota Vikings, hard to believe that they've ever played in a Super Bowl, much less four, four Super Bowls, if I'm not mistaken. You are correct, sir. Four NFC championships uh, at a time before most people listening were probably born, Buster. It's been a long time. Yeah, uh, the question is going to be for me whether or not I see them uh, win a Super Bowl in my lifetime. At this point, the odds are definitely stacked against me. You know, I don't feel sorry for Cubs and Red Sox fans anymore. They should start feeling sorry for me. Oh, everybody should. Oh, a pity party. A pity party in the upper Midwest. (laughs) (laughs) But you've got a beautiful stadium, which uh, I just recently read something. Uh, you know, marked, uh, uh, ranked as number one in the NFL. It's a pretty cool looking place. So, yeah, you, I, I agree. And they, they've got a great place. At some point, I'm going to find my way there for sure. All right, let's get to this week's quiz. All right, here we go. Week 25 of our quiz. Bryce Harper just hit his 300th career home run. Babe Ruth was the first to get to 300 in 1925. So here's this week's question. Who was the second MLB player to launch 300 career homers? Was it A, Jimmy Fox? Was it B, Mel Ott? Was it C, Chuck Klein? Or was it D, Lou Gehrig? The second man to hit 300 home runs in Major League Baseball, Jimmy Fox, Mel Ott, Chuck Klein, or Lou Gehrig? Wow. That that's a that is a great question, boy. Uh, Taylor, you want to go first? You want me to go first? I'll go first because I have um, Sarah Abbott's answer. She wants A. She just said take A for me. So there you go. She's yeah. all right. She's I hate books. the idea of Sarah maybe being correct in picking Jimmy Fox. That is my instinct. <laughs> but man, Lou Gehrig, he he had an amazing career. He put up incredible numbers. Oh, gosh. I'm going to go. I-, I agree with Sarah. Where are you going? I will go. I'll go Louis Gehrig. Wow. Taylor, congratulations. Yes. 
I needed because that. it was Lou Gehrig who on uh, April 30th, 1934, hit number 300. Think about how long the lapses between Babe Ruth in 1925, Lou Gehrig in 1934. And then there were several that came after. But Taylor, you are the man here in September. I needed man. it desperately. Has he has he closed the gap at this point? Uh, am I in jeopardy of losing my first place standing? You are very much in jeopardy of losing your first place standing, Buster, oh. because Sarah right now with eight, you have nine, and Taylor is up to seven. So Ooh. it's a horse race as we head into the home stretch, guys. I'm not happy about that. All right, Todd, <laughs> uh, thanks for bringing up a nightmare, me- nightmarish memory for me with the Vikings mm-hmm. and the Cowboys. And then, of course, I lose the quiz. What a great week it's been with you. I appreciate it. Happy Labor Day weekend, Buster. Bleacher Tweets. Alrighty, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for a Friday. David Fitzgerald at Dave Fat Kid writes, and not trying to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but do you think the uh, soft scoring on airs this season is Major League Baseball trying to inflate batting average to make the shift ban rule look like it's working better than it is? Yes. Oh, wow. Tinfoil Friday. Okay. There, there you go, David. Acuna better at Acuna 13 season writes in. Do you think that Acuna can get close to the single season stolen base record this year? No. No. I mean, he he would have to. It, I mean, the single season stolen base record is more than double what he has. So no chance. Okay. Golf Life Rag writes in, given that Chris Getz would literally just be an extension of the last 23 years and his track record of not developing talent in his current role, why is he thought of as a GM candidate? So he was hired. So can you explain to Golf Life Rag why this is happening to him? Well, Jerry Reinsdorf, we described him many times as being the most loyal owner in sports. Uh, he knows Chris Getz. It's not a surprise that Jerry's going to go with someone who he knows. And I will tell you that people in that organization really have a lot of respect for Chris. And when, uh, you know, there was speculation earlier this year that Jerry would make a change and Kenny Williams would be out and Rick Hahn would be out. People within that organization were like, well, you know, Chris Gatz is pretty good. Like, yeah, I, so, and it was interesting that Chris Gatz made it very clear that uh, his leadership is going to be different than what they've had in the past. Interesting. Uh, White Sox fans seem to be generally out on the hire, so hopefully he can turn it around for him. Uh, yep. Last one for the week. Be good to each other, right? And let's say Clayton Kershaw goes 4-0 the rest of the way and maintains his ERA in the mid-twos. At 16-4, and does he have a chance at the Cy Young? He really is remarkable. He really is remarkable. He'll go down in history as the greatest regular season pitcher ever. I mean, look, his postseason record is his postseason record. But you can't argue with his results in the regular season. He's been completely dominant. There are a, a lot of metrics that back that up, that he's the greatest regular season starting pitcher ever. Uh, and, yeah, I think he does have a, an outside chance at the Cy Young. I do think that Spencer Strider, because of his volume of work, probably is ahead of him. Uh, there are other pitchers who are going to be in the running. But here's the good thing for Kershaw. It's not like anyone's running away with this, uh, you know, in, in this voting right now. It's not like we're looking at Shohei Otani, American League MVP, uh, in the way that he's dominating that race. There you have it. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter while you're watching games this weekend. A reminder, we respect the summer holidays, so we will, we will be back on Tuesday after Labor Day. Nice. Well, that'd be good. What are you going to do on Monday? Some more tailgating? Um, probably just relaxing. Honestly, can't take my dog for a walk. She got spayed. So, you know, shout out Bob Barker. Yeah, I know how that goes. My dog, both of our dogs are on the injured list right now. I know. It's I not know. good. No, no. Yeah. Well, hopefully it's a weekend of healing for, for our pups at least. Mm-hmm. 
All right, that's it for today. That's it for this week. My thanks to Carl, Sarah, Todd, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day.